Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Blake, Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for, for being on. Happy Friday. Thanks for having us, Taylor. Yeah, happy Friday. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. It's our first ever uh, three-person podcast. Um, so to, to give an intro, Blake and Richard both uh, work at No Red Inc. Uh, Blake is the director of technology. Richard is the head of open source uh, technology. Um, and uh, they both have, uh, you know, backgrounds in technology in the Chicagoland area and across the Midwest. Uh, Richard is actually now hosting the podcast uh, that No Red Inc. is putting out called Software Unscripted, which you can find wherever you get podcasts. You can find them on Twitter, everything like that. Uh, did I miss anything? Well, I do want to correct one thing because I got to protect that Chicago reputation. Richard is actually uh, these days in Philadelphia. And previously he was based in St. Louis, which while technically part of the Midwest, not as cool as Chicago. So sorry, just wanted to address <laughs> wow. that. Wow. Shots fired indeed. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, great. Well, well, I'm excited um, to talk and learn a little bit more about what y'all look for when you're interviewing and hiring. And I think when Blake and I first talked, he said it's been, you know, wild just trying to get uh, people on board. So <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's a big part of the job. Uh, can you share a little bit about what No Red Inc. does and, and kind of the mission behind the company? Yeah, uh, I'll talk to, I'll speak to that for a moment. Now, I, just as a highlight, I, I've been at the company for a little more than three years and Richard has been at the company, I think forever. Uh, I think it was actually born with him. But anyway, so the, the mission of the company as we, as we stated is usually something along the lines of to build better writers. And really it's about classroom instruction for uh, classroom English language instruction. And that breaks down into a couple of different areas, one of which is writing. That's a big focus for us. And so what we're trying to do is what we have done is build an application which helps teachers and students make writing and make language instruction a more central part of, of their experience. Um, Richard, you may want to add to that. But yeah, that's, that's really what we do. Yeah, that seems like a pretty good summary. Yeah, I'll take that's it. Great. And then so important. I, I don't think I learned how to write at all until I was a junior in high school. And then I don't think I learned how to write well until I was at least a sophomore in college. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a painful process too. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it really is an underserved, I don't know about underserved, but let's say under-recognized part of, part of professional life. I mean, we, yeah. we think of ourselves in terms of discipline as engineers, and it's true. But how much of our job is actually writing and writing, you know, hopefully well. Uh, uh, and so I think it's a really important area. Yeah, absolutely. Can you both share a little bit about um, your specific role at the company? I'll, uh, I'll let Richard start with that one since I've been talking <laughs> so much. Sure. Um, so uh, like Blake mentioned, I've been at the company for a long time, uh, eight years now, um, and I've worn a lot of different hats. And most recently, actually, this is my first week doing it. I've, I've switched over to... Uh, my title is head of open source. And basically what that means is I'm working on an open source programming language um, that we're hoping to be using uh, in the next like, you know, year plus. Um, so basically I'm working full-time on that programming language. The programming language is called Rock. So R-O-C-Lang.org. 
Cool. Blake, you want to go? Yeah, sure. It's pretty good. Uh, it's a great story. I just, uh, just as a footnote, as Richard has been transitioning to this, speaking to those things uh, that he did historically in his, his role now, we've been referring to making sure all of those areas is covered as the hat sale uh, or Richard's hat sale. He's been selling off those hats. But anyway, so I, uh, I'm the director of engineering, which basically means that I'm responsible for, and I'm head of the department presently, uh, interim head of the department. And so that essentially means when it comes to personnel, when it comes to process, I'm the person who's responsible for making sure those, those areas are addressed. Uh, most recently, that's that's resulted in just a lot of hiring uh, very quickly, but it's more than that, too. It's just making sure that the department is set up to be effective and deliver the software that we're trying to build. Uh, there's obviously a lot that rolls into that, uh, but yeah, that's that's what I do. Nice. Hey, could you share a little bit about the, the tech stack? I, I was looking at some roles online, um, which again, you have quite a few <laughs> roles you're, yes. you're hiring for. Um, but it We're seems hiring. like yeah, Rails <laughs> stack, but there was also some interest in um, like Elm and Haskell, which, which seems kind of unique. Yeah, so we, as far as I know, we still have the biggest Elm code base in the world. It's like um, coming up on like half a million lines uh, of Elm code. Um, we have increasingly been using Haskell on the back end. So we have, I'm not sure how many lines offhand, but um, a bunch. Uh, uh, and, uh, rails is sort of like our legacy code base. Like we, we have, we have a big rails code base, um, that we have worked on a lot over the years, uh, but we're moving towards Haskell on the back end, um, and away from rails. Nice. That's really cool. Uh, I, I, well, in Chicagoland, that's a transition. I think a lot of companies have made over the last handful of years is how do we shift away from our, our rails legacy app and into something else. And I've seen more and more functional programming languages becoming that like the place to go, right? Versus um, Java or whatever um, Groupon did back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we don't, we don't require any, uh, you know, background in any like functional languages or functional programming. Like we just require interest in it because that's what we use. Yeah. Nice. That's fantastic. Uh, Can you both share a little bit about your pathways into technology and how you got into it? Yeah. uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, It's, I mean, we're coming up on on two decades for me, which which is, you know, there's a lot there's a lot there, but it, it boils down to, you know, in college, my 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 area of study was math, but my my passion, the hobby, if you will, was always programming. Uh, I was a I was a programmer, I was a tinkerer, and so I took a lot of CS classes, and and my first real job out of college was in technology, though not as a programmer, actually. It was more along the lines of technical support. Uh, from there, I made my way into quality assurance, actually, and started leading teams in quality assurance, uh, all the while still you know, using those programming skills as, as kind of a value add. And at some point, uh, I was senior enough in, in my role at the company I was at at the time where I just sort of raised my head, hand and said, uh, Hey, I'm going to be a developer now. And everyone was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's cool. And, uh, from there, I, I did that for a couple of years. And at some point we had a team that needed a manager and I had previously been a manager and someone was like, Hey, you've been a manager before. And I was like, caught me. Uh, and <laughs> from, from then on out, I essentially took on leadership roles. Uh, that was in FinTech. Uh, and then at, 
when was it? I don't know, a few, it was probably seven years ago, I realized that I was not nearly excited about money as a product as, as my colleagues and uh, made the shift to, to ed tech for, for lots of reasons, but probably the biggest one, it's, it's just a domain that I'm, I'm a lot more excited about and, and I find a lot more rewarding personally. Yeah. That's, that's great. Uh, and I know a lot of people that have made similar transitions, right? Like maybe let's find an industry. If I have the skill set that I could probably work in any industry yep. and in, right, why not find something that I care a little bit more about? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, the, my elevator pitch, uh, has always been, you know, whoever I'm speaking with, if you're in FinTech or ad tech or, or social, whatever your product boils down to money at some level, it boils down to money. And my product is kids' educational futures, and I'm going to win that one every time <laughs> in terms of the plus for, for you know, the, the kind of role that you want to take on, the kind of mission you want to sign up for. But uh, let's hear from Richard. My path into tech. So uh, I started programming when I was nine, and it was mainly because I wanted to make games like a lot of people did. Um, I would make like board games and, uh, I don't know, spoken word games, I guess, uh, we didn't like formally play D and D or anything back then, but um, we would just kind of like talk through things and, and have these sort of ad hoc games. And I really wanted to make computer games. Um, one thing led to another, and uh, I my dad got me a book, Learn Basic Now. Uh, started started program with Forward by Bill Gates. Uh, you know, back in the '90s, that was a big deal. Um, and basically, uh, you know. Uh, one thing led to another and um eventually i just started spending so much time on it it was kind of a foregone conclusion that that was what i was going to do professionally um someday and uh here we are many years later and that is indeed what i'm doing professionally <laughs> and how'd you both get connected with with no red ink i'm always curious how um people transition from job to job because it seems like some people are, oh, I apply for things and then, you know, something interesting pops up and some people are like, oh, I never applied, you know, someone just reached out to me or I reached out to other people. So I'm curious about the pathway into to no red ink. So I'll, I'll go ahead and, and jump in there since I'm the more recent, uh, the more recent addition to the team. So I was actually working for, for a couple of years for an ed tech company in the Chicago Loop. And uh, in terms of just the, the impact that the company was, I love the folks at the company, but in terms of the impact, I was really looking for an opportunity to do something that was a little further reaching. And there were some other characteristics that I was looking for in a role. And maybe one of the biggest ones was I wanted to find a company that was dyed in the wool remote first uh, or remote friendly. And this was uh, in, in just a wildly good turn of serendipity before the pandemic. And so there, there weren't a whole lot of companies that, that were that, but no red ink was. And as I got to know the folks and something I've said about jobs in general, whenever you're in an, in an application process, whenever you're interviewing, the candidate deserves to be more and more excited over time about the company they're going to join. And the company deserves to be more and more over time excited about having that candidate on the team. And that was just the story. And, and I haven't looked back. I've uh, 
I've, I've, I said it a second ago and I'll say it again. I love the folks at the, at my previous company, but for me, no red ink has been an upgrade in every way. And it's been great. And I've gotten to work with great people like Richard too. Yeah. So my story is a little bit different because it was, uh, you know, a lot longer ago. Um, so, uh, the way that I found out about no red ink was I was talking to a recruiter and, um, they, as it happened, were uh, for Google ventures and they basically, um, we're recruiting for a lot of like really early stage companies. I don't know what Google Ventures uh, looks like these days, but at the time they were like really into like seed investments. So really, really small companies. Um, I've, this is the fourth startup I've worked for. And uh, I, I really found that I sort of liked that, um, like really get it on the ground floor, like have a big impact type of thing. Um, a lot of responsibility, a lot of hours, but also a lot of impact. Um, and, uh, and all the other startups I'd worked for, of course, had gone out of business. Uh, so, I mean, I guess part of the reason that I'm still here is that, you know, this one didn't go out of business. It's great. <laughs> uh, so, um, so basically, uh, I, I was, uh, talking to this recruiter and, um, he, he talked to me about a, a variety of companies. Well, so first he asked me like, what are you looking for? And I said, small, like, I really want to get in like, you know, anything like smaller, the better. Um, and so he gave me a list of companies, like all of which had 10 or fewer total employees at the time. Um, and there were two that stood out. One was no red ink and one other company. And so I interviewed with both of them and you know, it's funny, we're talking about interviewing today, but actually, um, one of the main things that convinced me that I, I should go with no red ink and, and turn down the other company was, um, just the, the quality of no red ink's interview process. Uh, it was, um, it really impressed me. And I thought like, wow, not, not only do I like these people that I interviewed with, I, I thought, I think they're really great. Um, but also I, I, I really appreciate that they would design their interview process like this. This is the type, I guess we're pretty like-minded about um, how to design a good interview process, uh, which is pretty rare. And also I think uh, speaks to the quality of like, well, if they've all been vetted through, you know, this process, or at least uh, at, at, at most uh, one of them has not been vetted through this process. <laughs> Somebody must have designed it and everybody else presumably went through it. Um, then that also speaks to, you know, the, the quality of like what, what their technical abilities must be. So um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that like Blake was very mission oriented from the get go. For me, I was mostly impressed by the people and like the company. Um, but I mean, also like I had a background in writing. I'd been like, you know, uh, I guess I had a side gig as a, as a writer um, in the past and like was actually write, building writing software for like writing novels um, <laughs> when I applied. Uh, and yet to me, still the biggest selling point was like the people and the, and the, the company. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. The interview press, I mean, it's kind of the whole idea behind the podcast, but it is so interesting. I, I just recently changed jobs and I forgot how, how frustrating it can be when you're really excited about the company, but their interview process is so poor that it's like mm. great just sucking that energy out of you. Right. And like, you're like, okay, I could, I'll keep going. Cause I'm excited about this company in general, but I do four more steps. It seems like these arbitrary things, which is, uh, it's a, I could go down a rabbit hole, but <laughs> uh, as far will, as, yeah. Oh, I, I'll just jump in and add one of the things we definitely try to do is make sure that candidates understand why we're doing each stage uh, of the interview and be really transparent about that. And I find that like companies that don't do that are, are really missing an opportunity to help candidates understand like, what are we looking for? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps candidates prep as well. You know, if you say yeah. this, this is the goal of these stages, okay, then I'll actually be prepared for those stages versus, hey, you're yep. going to have a final and it's going to be two and a half hours long and good luck. <laughs> <It could be laughs> anything, right? Yeah. 
as far as technical interviews, um, it sounds like uh, since y'all been hiring a lot, I'm assuming doing a lot of interviews as well lately. Yeah, I, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but uh, in in terms of of candidates that we've looked at from beginning to end, we oh, what is the pass through rate? I think for the entire process, it's it's something on the on the magnitude of one in eight folks, or maybe one in ten folks make it through the entire process. Uh, and in the last, uh, well, I'll just speak to the last three months, we've hired 11 or 12 folks. Uh, so, so you, you know, you can prognosticate what that number looks like, uh, but it's, it's going to be in the, the low three digits. So but that's all engineers, like the company as a whole has hired even more than that, of course. Yeah. 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 Wow. What are you evaluating for typically when folks are going through the interview process or the technical interview process? So for technical interview process, um, I would say uh, that the main things are basically uh, at a baseline, like, do you know how to code? Like, do you know how to like uh, take an idea and turn it into working software? Mm -hmm. Um, And then beyond that, there's some other characteristics that we look for that are like sort of more specific than that. Um, Things like uh, self-awareness. Um, uh, problem solving skills, like being able to like, you know, get stuck and get yourself unstuck, um, uh, figuring out how to, um, like, uh, uh, communicate while you're working, uh, like how to design a system. Um, we have these like criteria, which I'm, I'm actually uh, like reading for. So <laughs> I guess I could just go through these. So code fluency, autonomy. So being able to like solve the problems yourself, um, self-awareness, communication, problem solving, and system design. Um, so basically like those are the, we do three technical interviews and each of them are designed to uh, evaluate some mix of those. Um, and uh, one of the things that we, I mean, this isn't what you asked, but just uh, <laughs> a little slightly off topic, but like one of the things that's really important to us is that um, we, we, we don't want our interviews to be something where you can really benefit from studying for them. Um, we really try to make them be representative of the types of things that you would do on the job. Like not literally things that you would do on the job. Like as you'll be able to tell, this is obviously not something that literally has come up or <laughs> it's like definitely it's a toy, it's a toy problem, but it utilizes the same kinds of skills that, you know, tend to come up, um, on the job. And so, uh, the, um, we also always look for like, um, well, like we'll say, hey, feel free to use any resource you would normally use on the job, like Google anything you want, you know, whatever, we don't care. Um, but when people do that, we actually do take a look at, you know, um, how, how are their Googling skills? Like, do they sure. do they look at the first Stack Overflow answer and then just copy paste it without reading it? You know, some people do that because um, uh, that's a skill, right? That's a skill that we use on the job. So um, yeah, those types of things. Uh, we definitely don't, none of our interviews are at all technology specific. Like we, we actually go to uh, it explicitly try to make them not only technology ag- as technology agnostic as possible, but um, there's one interview where we actually do have a code sample and we made like, I think it was like more than 10 different languages versions of it, just in case, just so you can use whatever language you're comfortable with. Um, because basically from, from our perspective, um, what we found is that people can pick up technologies on the job. They can pick up languages on the job. Um, that's not a problem. So we're not going to try to screen anyone out because they don't happen to know exactly the, whatever, you know, framework or technology we're using. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Are there things from a non-technical perspective you're looking for as well? Maybe Blake, you could speak to that as well. 
Yeah, I Richard actually touched on those in a couple of instances, but a big a big part of that is communication, ability to to make yourself understood, do so succinctly, do so well. Uh, there's some other characteristics that we look for, things like uh, we, we use this word and I'll explain what it means, but we use the word grit a lot. It, it, you know, are we talking to someone who can encounter a challenge and meet that challenge and do so, you know, in, in a way that's productive uh, or are they easily, you know, sort of turned aside? We look for what are some other characteristics that we look for? Uh, we do think about mission alignment. You know, we, we don't necessarily want uh, uh, require someone to be uh, a true believer or something like that. But but we definitely, you know, have have an eye on that. Um, humility. humility is a great one. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it's. Well, I'll just leave it there. Humility is really important. The ability, uh, really honestly, to to take and uh, to to hear, absorb, and in, incorporate feedback uh, in in some fashion or another. We have I've described No Red Ink as having a very strong feedback culture, and it's 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 deeply true. Uh, feedback is not something that's just for, for review cycles. It's for colleagues to talk to each other about how to improve and how to get better. And I think it's, uh, it's incumbent on all of us to be very good at, very good at that. So those are some of those key characteristics. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I mean, feedback, I, I feel like that the way it's presented and the way it's received, it can change the entire, I don't know how you feel about a working situation. Right? Like I've had places yeah. where feedback was handled and received and given very well and places where not, not so well. Uh, and, and I don't know, it changes how you just feel about the company as a whole. Yeah, no, definitely. I find that in that exercise there, there, you know, communication obviously plays a big role, but I think empathy and self-awareness play a big role too. being aware of what are, what are my limitations? What are my, you know, what, what are my strengths? What, what, what am I knowledgeable about? And also being aware of how that communication may be received by the audience, whether it's feedback or any other kind of communication really does determine, is that going to be successful? Is it going to be something that someone's in a position to be able to hear and actually act on? Or is it going to be something that just sounds like empty criticism, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. It's funny how often empathy comes up on the, the this podcast uh, because yeah. I, I came from an industry which I consider to be extremely low empathy, right? The recruiting yeah. world, um, at least the third party recruiting world, and then engineering, where I think you know the bar is higher, but but depending on the company, it could still be fairly low sometimes. So it is it is interesting, and again, makes a huge difference in just how someone feels about um, their work environment. Absolutely. And hard to screen for in interviews, you know, I think on both sides, <laughs> everyone's putting on their best face. It's rare. So you're going to necessarily see how they might react in a specific situation. Right. Yeah, um, for sure. Do you have any standardized system? I mean, it sounds like there's kind of three technicals, I guess, what's the, the rest of the, the process look like for folks? Uh, so I'll speak to that. So we're, we're in the middle of kind of revising our process. So I'm going to briefly summarize kind of the old process and then I'll, uh, kind of touch on how it's changing. So previously we had a couple of, of stages that we referred to. There was the initial stage, which was, uh, talk to a recruiter, talk to one of our managers. And we also previously used to use a take home challenge that we, 
uh, encourage folks to time box to two hours, but uh, we did away with any kind of hard requirement on that. Um, and so that was that initial stage. Then we had a technical stage, which, you know, encompassed three interviews. We then had a uh, sort of a final stage, if you will, that had uh, a longer interview that was a deeper dive into someone's experience, talking about, you know, the, the different roles they've had over time, asking some specific questions there. And then we had uh, what I've referred to as an executive interview. It's actually uh, our CEO, Jeff, uh, uh, it was named after him. So in all of our docs, it would be like Jeff's interview, but it's, it's really an executive interview, uh, which is really just a 30 minute conversation. And then there were a couple of states like items after that, but they weren't evaluations. They were more just opportunities for folks to ask questions and get to know each other. Uh, we had a, a sort of a meet the team interview where you just essentially jump on a call with a team that you would probably be working with or the folks you would probably be working with and, and they have a chance to get to know you and you have a chance to ask questions and those sorts of things. Uh, and we are one of, I, in my experience, there are a lot of technical companies that aren't really interested in checking references. We tend to love to talk to people that you've worked with before because we find it to be a pretty good predictor of, of what it's going to be like to work with you. So, um, so that's what it looked like previously. Now, in terms of how we're changing it, we've already dropped the take home. We found that there was a lot of delay around that. And it wasn't, it wasn't always the most effective use of folks' time in terms of uh, the value it provided us. Uh, we've condensed the recruiter screen, that, that first initial interview and the, uh, the manager interview, mostly as, a, as an attempt to, an experiment and an attempt to respect folks time like you know there's a lot of overlap between those and so we we didn't really want to do both of them necessarily if if you know we could condense it to one conversation the technical interviews were shortening a little bit and then everything after that last interview that i described the deeper dive is happens in parallel to all of the other processes and so uh so we've really tried to tighten up and shorten that 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 process for folks uh in an interest to really improve candidate experience right like i don't want to take a whole bunch of someone's time for them to discover you know hey this isn't necessarily the job for me or whatever and so and so yeah i think we've done a we've done a lot of work and i think it'll pay off as as we adopt the new process and now assuming that somebody like scheduling permitting um, it's theoretically possible for someone to like apply on Monday and get an offer on Friday. If like every single day they're able to, you know, <laughs> like do some something. availability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's huge. Um, if you're able to move at that, that type of speed, or I say, if you can reasonably, if it's from, uh, application to offer within 10 days or 10 business days, like you think you're in a good spot. I think a lot of companies trend closer to 15 or 20, right? If you're at 10, I think you're actually competitive, especially yep. if someone realized, oh, I talked to two other companies, but I didn't even know your company existed until two days ago, right? And now that yeah. you can kind of catch up a little bit. And, and to be clear, that's not our average. It's more like, you know, with our streamlined process, it's now possible. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, as a, as a footnote here, industry average uh, for, for companies with comparable uh, makeup as ours is, is around 21 days, uh, mm -hmm. begin like from we, it, we, the jargon in, in recruiting, as I understand it is time to hire. So that's from application to offer. 
the the average these days is 21 days and ours is a little higher than 21 days depending on the role um and so that's part of the reason why we've invested a lot in in trying to cut it down not the least of which because you know no red ink is a growing company we're an exciting company but we aren't necessarily a household name yet uh but uh uh, and so we've had a number of candidates who would discover us, you know, partway through their interview process with other with other companies. And uh, I, I think it's just maybe at least in the professional world, one of the smaller tragedies when someone says, I have an offer in hand, I need to act mm-hmm. on it or not. But this other company. Eh. So, yeah. And in, in the interest of, of really just improving that experience for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'm curious. Um how do you both feel in the past you've done in technical interviews? Like maybe you're more so on the, the management side of things now, but, and Richard, maybe mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting if you're specifically looking at startups in the past, but sure. did you feel like you were good at them? Not good somewhere in between? Um, I'll say two things about that. One is I very strongly suspect that if I ever work for a big company, it'll like a really big, like tech company, it'll be because I worked for a startup that got acquired. I don't think I would ever be able to pass an interview at one of those companies um, because I know they ask a lot of like algorithms, trivia and stuff like that. And I just don't know that stuff. Um, as I understand it, like I have some friends who have done that. And if I, if I really was determined to work at one of those companies, I would probably just spend a lot of time studying it, which really would bother me, I guess, on a, on a, on the level of, it seems like, um, I don't know, disrespectful people's time to ask them to like spend a lot of time studying so that you can poorly evaluate them. Um, but, uh, but since that's how the game is played, I guess I, you know, maybe could do that. Um, but certainly if I were to take one right now, I would absolutely fail like every single, you know, big name tech company. Um, uh, having said that it's separately true that I also have, well, everywhere I've ever interviewed, I've gotten an offer. So I must've passed their technical interviews. Um, having said that my experience interviewing with really, really small startups, like in the early stages with the exception of no red ink and maybe one other that I can think of, um, like in a lot of cases, I was either a co-founder or, um, or I was like their first technical hire. And so the amount of, you know, rigor that they had was not really that possible. Like no red inks was, was pretty thorough. Um, but, uh, other companies, and, and now I had, I have had a couple of non-startup jobs. Like I worked for a startup. It went out of business when I was living in St. Louis, there wasn't a big startup culture. So it wasn't like I could just hop from one startup to another. It was like, Oh, got to go work for a big company now. Um, and I'd stay there for a couple of years and then go to another startup. Um, so I have had some like by, by, by big company though, I, I don't mean like big tech company. It's like, you know, I worked for like a hospital system at one point, right. They had like uh, quite a few programmers on staff, but they were not a tech company there. You know, they had hospitals. Um, so basically, uh, I have also had some experience with somewhat of the more traditional interviewing style, I guess, um, like outside of what you find outside startups, but I've never been asked to like reverse a linked list, which I don't think I could do off the top of my head. Um, like <laughs> in C or something like that. I, I guess I could stumble through it and figure it out, but, or like anything to do with like B trees and anything to do with trees. I've never been asked about trees or <laughs> any interview I've ever had. Um, uh, but I did, I did have one like, uh, somewhat, uh, fond memory of like, I was, I was literally doing whiteboard coding. I was physically standing in front of a whiteboard, writing code on it. Um, and, uh, this is at one of the bigger companies, of course. 
Uh, and, and one of the interviewers asked me, um, okay, so and this was in Java. And he was like, okay, so uh, what would you do if you wanted to uh, respond to a, um, like a, a, a keyboard event or something like that? I was like, oh, I would add a listener. He's like, okay, so what, what kind of pattern is that? I was like, oh, I mean, it's like uh, the listener, you know, it's like, uh, and I started explaining how event listeners were like, yeah, yeah, but like, what's the pattern? I was like, I don't know. It's like, as if you were, um, you know, listening for a thing. And he's like, so almost like you were observing the thing. I was like, oh yeah, observer pattern. Like, so clearly, you know, there was some checklist, right? Where like, it's the candidate must say observer pattern to like pass the interview or something. But like, I guess the guy took pity on me and was like, clearly he knows like how to, how this works. But um, he just doesn't know the name of the, or, or maybe he doesn't know the name of the pattern, the, the design pattern, Gang of Four style. So yeah. anyway, um, so I guess I have a, it's simultaneously true that I think I have objectively a good track record at um, interviews, but also uh, I don't think they've been at, at the level of difficulty, regardless of whether that difficulty correlates to being a good evaluator of people's abilities um, uh, compared to what somebody might experience at like a, a an average tech company today. So uh, I think the thing I want to say about my interviewing experience is I have come out of interview processes at, at times and been convinced that I just crushed the interview. And I've come out of interview processes at times and thought, that was, that was a bit of a squeaker. I don't know how that went. And I will tell you, there is a very teeny tiny correlation between the actual outcome. Uh, there. And I'm saying that as much for anything for your listeners, because I imagine there are folks out there who they've just gone through an interview or they're about to go through an interview and they're feeling a lot of anxiety. And the more than any specific tactical advice, the best advice I can give for folks going through that, and it's something that I've taken to heart, is it, it's going to turn out however it's going to turn out. It's not, I don't need to change myself to be ready to work at a company and the company shouldn't expect to work with someone they're not excited to work about. It's more of a matchmaking process. Do the skills that I bring to the table right now, right in this moment, match what the company's looking for. And if they do, that's amazing. And if they don't, that's okay. Um, I will talk a little bit in specifics though, because that was, you know, beautiful general philosophy, but let's talk about specifics for a second. The last time I was interviewing for, for any kind of a company, uh, that, that involved a technical interview was actually around the time I was interviewing for No Red Ink. Here's the thing. Whenever you're interviewing for leadership roles, some companies still have technical interviews, like deeply technical interviews. And there was one company in the Chicago Loop that actually had not one, but two different coding interviews for what was ostensibly a leadership position. And the first one was essentially a take home. And it was a very interesting challenge. It was basically, here's a giant data set, do a thing with it. And uh, I, I crushed that one because I used off-the-shelf software for a lot of it. I basically, <laughs> no, seriously, I, I dockerized uh, uh, an installation of Metabase and then built a little bit of Python code that answered some questions that they were looking for. And their response was like, this is fantastic. Um, and it was, it was, it was a great use. Like that's what we would really do. Right. If, if we needed to solve that problem. Now, maybe if we needed to maintain it, we we do something a little neater or a little narrower, but I did that in a very short amount of time. Right. 
And then I did the on-site interview, which there was a technical interview there as well, even though it's a leadership position. And, and I'm going to take a pause and just say, if you are interviewing for a leadership position and there are technical interviews, I encourage you to ask questions. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it may mean that the company's priorities or how they're thinking about candidates is, is a little weird um, because the reality is if someone asks me to write code in my day-to-day -day job as a director of engineering, something has gone sideways. Uh, I don't know what it is, but something has gone sideways, which is not to say I'm a bad programmer, but anyway, that's, that's a digression. The, the challenge was something broadly algorithmic and I was using Python again for, for that particular challenge. And I recall thinking after the interview, oh, I really should have used list comprehensions. And in retrospect, I think that was the point of the interview. I think the point of the interview was, does this person know about this hyper-specific, or not hyper-specific, but relatively specific language construct for this language that we use a lot? And because I didn't use that, uh, ultimately, I don't think I did well on that interview and I didn't get an offer, um, which on the one hand is a bummer, but on the other hand, it didn't impact me too much because frankly, no red ink was my first choice at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we lucked yeah. out. <laughs> I guess we were I mean, I would say, I would say lucked out, but like this was, I already had an offer in hand from a, from a third company. And so I was just seeing if I could upgrade that situation. And, and I did, um, if I'm honest, this, this middle company with the interview that I think I failed was kind of on even footing with the safety company. I, I think about it in the same way college applicants think about schools. I had my safety job. <laughs> now I was trying to, trying to, you know, go for broke. So. I'll tell you what, once you have the safety offer, it does make interviewing easier. It feels a little yeah, like, it, yeah, pressure comes it's, off, right? Yeah. You're not sweating going, oh, I, I don't know how to do this specific thing. You go, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the one thing that I do bring in interviews, and I do think I interview well, is that I have, I, I have a humility about me, but I also, like, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable being very vulnerable and admitting where I'm strong and where I'm not. But I also bring into that experience this kind of like confidence. You know, I just uh, earlier I said it's going to be whatever it is or not. And I don't sweat the the kind of things that I think a lot of people get anxious about. And I think that is a reason why I tend to do well with interviewing. If you can if you can say, look, this is just an exercise. It's just a sample. If I'm a match, that's great. If I'm not, oh, well, then then you come with an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Did either of you have any type of system um, you use to break down a problem? Let's say you're in an interview and someone says, Hey, do X, right. And you don't have an immediate solution, right? Do you have some type of process you go through to, to kind of break that problem into chunks and tackle it? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a sort of system, but it's a very general system and it's actually how I approach any kind of programming problem. I basically, I don't want to call it pseudocode, but it's very close to pseudocode. I write down a list of like jobs to be done or things to be done. So I say, okay, I, I'm starting here and I need to get there and what needs to happen in between. So I start to write kind of discrete steps for, oh, I need something that does this. Oh, I need something that does that. 
And once I have that list, I essentially start to turn that into code. And then I look for some kind of optimization. Either of you all have other advice for, for folks going into technical interviews, um, I'll, whether it's you know somewhere like no red ink or, or smaller, or larger, somewhere in between? Um, you've probably already mentioned this before, but I mean, the, the main piece of advice that I would give people, because unfortunately, I, I just don't have any <laughs> practical tactical advice for like how to pass the interview. But um, at some point, if the interviews go well, they're going to make you an offer and you need to decide whether you want to accept it. Part of what that decision is going to be based on is like, you know, the, the info on the paper, like, okay, you know, is this, does this like offer meet my needs in terms of, you know, what I'm looking for? But there's also a question of, am I going to actually like working at this company? Hmm. And so um, the interview is, you know, once you get the offer, you, you usually are about at the end of the, your opportunity to ask people questions about stuff. So my advice would be, um, if nothing else, prepare for having questions to ask people if they have at the end of interviews or like whatever point in the process, there is an opportunity for you to ask questions. Definitely be prepared for that so that you are not sitting there saying, huh, do I have questions? Um, I don't know. How do you like working there? You know, like there's probably a list of things that are important to you and that um, like, I, I guess my advice would be think ahead to pretend they've made you an offer. Hmm. Now, what do you want to know about them before you make that decision? Cause once you get to the point where they made you the offer, it's probably too late to go back and ask those interviewers like, or at least it's awkward, um, to go back and try to ask them the questions, uh, that, you know, as opposed to if you had them on hand, then you could find that stuff out ahead of time. Richard actually touched on something that I've done for the last couple of job searches that I think is absolutely critical. I actually think before you even apply for a single job, sit down some quiet afternoon or whatever, find a little time and some clear headspace and decide what are the, what are the, you know, two or three things that I'm optimizing for? Because the reality is that not every company is going to optimize for those things, depending on what you, what's important to you or is the mission critical to you or not? It's okay. There's no wrong answer there, but mm. you should know what, what actually matters. And anything that isn't on that list, though it may be a nice to have, should never be the reason why you're making a decision, right? So if you care deeply about the mission, uh, then it goes on that list. And if you're, if you're looser in terms of your mission alignment, that should never be the reason that I think you decide to, to come to a company. That being said, there are always nice to have benefits if there is mission alignment, if you like the culture. For some folks, culture is really important. Okay, that goes on that list. But you asked a, a slightly different question, which was along the lines of, you know, how do you how do you uh, prepare? I think, right? Mm -hmm. Going yeah, into I, technicals. I think one of the biggest tactical mistakes that uh, folks make in the middle of a tactical interview is they choose, if given a choice, they choose a technology or choose an approach that they think is what the interviewer wants to see. I've seen so many folks come into interviews at No Red Ink and they're like, well, this company likes functional programming. I should clearly try to do everything in Elm. And the reality is that's, that's not a good choice. Even if it is a good choice, it's, there's, a, there's a better choice, which is use the technology that you are most comfortable with. So if you write JavaScript day in, day out, and that's your bread and butter, use JavaScript. That's going to be the better choice, honestly. Um, and as a, as a kind of axiom to that, I would definitely encourage folks um, to, to spend a little bit of time just looking at the broader ecosystem than just what they've been doing with their recent job. Because you should, you know, 
that the world is wider than than whatever your your job has been and so it's always good to spend a little bit of time brushing up on the on the the idioms of whatever language you're you're planning to use or you prefer to look at you know look at the uh what are the current practices you know and and i know with javascript that changes every third day but the point is you know be comfortable with with those idioms and and those sorts of things and if you're using a tool that you're comfortable with and you know you're just naturally going to do better than you would otherwise yeah worth noting that i mean although for us it's uh it's the case that we don't give any bonus points whatsoever for like using a technology that we happen to use probably for some companies it's different um so I don't know, like, I guess it kind of depends on the company and like, what if they say that they don't care about technology, um, at least in our case, we really mean it, like use whatever you want. I mean, we want to see you at your best, meaning at your most comfortable because, uh, you know, if somebody is like, well, clearly they were out of their comfort zone in terms of this technology and they didn't do very well in the interview, but is that just because of the technology? It puts us in a really awkward position trying to evaluate your abilities if we're like, oh, well, they didn't do very well, but why is that because they chose an awkward technology? So like in those situations, we have no choice, but to say like, well, we can't just assume they're actually much better than what they showed in this interview. We have to assume the opposite. Like, well, we don't have any demonstration that you can do this. So we have to assume that you can't. So you can avoid putting us in that position by just going with whatever you are absolutely most comfortable with. <laughs> and just, you know, cause like, like people always say, interviews are an opportunity to show off. Like yeah, show us, let us see you at your best, you know, with whatever technology you're most comfortable. I Richard said something that stuck with me, and I think this is a place where a lot of interviewers or the candidates, especially uh, who haven't interviewed as much, they, they misconstrue something. There's nothing about our interview process that is designed explicitly as a judgment of uh, the, how, how excellent the candidate is. Yes, we do assessments. Those assessments are not about whether you are good or bad. If right. I hear an interview say, oh, this person was really good, my assumption is that that's a shorthand for saying that I got a lot of signal out of this interview. If they say bad, my assumption is that's, that's a shorthand for I didn't get much signal. And so it's not about whether or not you're excellent or good or bad. Those, those words, the moral weight they carry is, is kind of nonsense in this context. It's rather about is the signal sufficient to support the idea that this person would be successful here? And so, yeah, the, the last thing I'll say, I take Richard's point on the uh, other companies maybe want you to use the technology, uh, specific technology. I suspect that's true. And if that company is really important to you, then by all means, like prepare for that, depending on the job responsibility. If the job says you must be you know, uh, a hassle expert, then yeah, spend some time on your hassle. My take on it is always like, if someone tells me, hey, use whatever technology you're comfortable with, I'm going to take that at face value. And if they're going to judge me harshly for that, then that's a signal for me. So <laughs> that's my take on it. Yeah. Having recruited for a long time, I, I would say, I think most companies are on, on the same page where if you you know, use whatever you're comfortable with rather than whatever you think will impress yeah. them because you know a little bit about something. But but maybe do some research about Elm or Haskell or whatever it is because you know they yeah. use it. So when they say, have you used any Haskell? You can go, no, but I understand it's a functional programming language and here's one tidbit about it, right? At least show you have yeah. some interest in it. That, that might yep. go a long I mean, way. Honestly, like from our perspective, we don't even require that. Um, like uh, basically like if someone says, 
I don't know anything about Haskell or Elm, then we'll say, oh, okay, so they're functional programming languages. They're pretty far outside the mainstream. We just want to make sure you're okay with that. Like, are you okay mm -hmm. taking a job here? Let's not like waste each other's time. If you're just going to start and be like, oh, this yeah. is this is not what I'm used to. I, I'm out. You know, that's not good for anybody. So yeah. all we really require, like genuinely is interest. Like as long as you're open to it, like great. That's that's all we're, we're looking for. Yeah. I, I will say your time is almost better spent researching about the company. I don't know how many yeah. candidates I've seen where they're like, wait, so what's your company name? And what do y'all do? Please, please do the research ahead of time. Because if you haven't, what that signals to interviewers, whether you intend it or not, is that this opportunity isn't something you're you're actually excited about. And and you know, when I talk about signal, that's that's kind of a, a derogatory signal as such. Sure. Right. Some yeah, I think it also shows you're probably talking to 15 other companies or you just one on a list, right? Yep. Um, which may be true, but at least don't. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm never, I'm never going to fault anyone for playing the game, right? Like there's a lot of opportunity out there, but at the same time, because we're all trying to find our way in the dark a little bit, I don't think you should fault a company for hearing that and saying, maybe this person isn't the right person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, either of you have a different advice um, or additional advice for folks who would be earlier in their career? Like maybe this is a first job search or second job search. I, I So I've worked with folks like that a lot. So I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Uh, the, the best advice I can give you uh, is one, focus on activities that are going to leave you feeling more confident, right? Mm. You don't need to hyper-focus. You don't need to perseverate you do benefit from doing mock interviews and those sorts of things. So if you have colleagues with, or, or, you know, folks who, who are in your social circle who are already working at a company, see if they'll administer a mock interview for you, go through some of those things, um, put some challenges in front of yourself and do it. Not so much to brush up on the language, just to build the confidence, honestly, because, those any technical interview process is ultimately in some measure time box. And if you, if you're coding on your own, whether you've got a job doing it or not, there's, there's no one breathing down Richard's neck that says, Hey, you need to implement this sort in the next 60 minutes. That's not part of his job. Right. And so getting comfortable under like with a modicum of pressure is going to pay more dividends than any language construct that you can, you know, cram into your brain the last, you know, the night before the interview. So I would say find opportunities to practice just that, that kind of time box exercise. That's going to be really valuable. Anything that's going to build your confidence or leave you feeling confident, that's going to be valuable. And um, I think uh, that, yeah, I'd love to say that there's something else there, but I think those are going to be the most impactful things. Yeah. The, the mock interviews, I think, are, are huge, especially early in your career, because you don't necessarily know what you don't know at that point. Right. And mm -hmm. and even one or two people can be like, oh, just talk a little bit more when you're going through this process or do like a small amount of pseudocoding before you get into it. And like there's such like basic tips that I think do go a long way and clearly stand out of like, oh, this person has done this a little bit before versus like, oh, they're coming yep. into this totally blind. Right. For sure. Great. Uh, well, anything else to add um, before we, we well, actually, I guess, last question for me before we move into a break and then come back into the technical, um, any interviewing horror stories that maybe folks can relate to um, from, from y'all's career? Um, I, I think I've shared 
many in the past. Uh, I don't have any two two recent ones. Nothing went terribly wrong in this most recent job search. So I think I, I got I, uh, excited about that. <laughs> so anything on, on y'all's end? I, I have one that I think is a pretty funny one, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and whatever. It's, it's fine. So I, I was interviewing, this is more than a decade ago at a company that had kind of a one day interview process. So I did four or five interviews in one day. And by the end of the day, you know, anytime you go through that, you're a little bit tired, but I knew that I had done well with the interview. Uh, so much so that the, the manager, the hiring manager was talking to me about, how they were going to make my salary requirements work because I was looking for a little bit more. They were like, maybe you could take on this responsibility. That seems like it. So, I mean, that's, that felt to me at the time, like a signal that it had gone well. And the recruiter let me know that uh, the CEO wanted to talk to me the next day and that's, or that they wanted to talk to me the next day. And apparently that's the pattern the company followed with offers or whatever. And so uh, I was gearing up to come in the next day for this in-person offer because I figured I'd done well and I had done well as it turned out, but the money was an issue for the CEO, which I didn't know. And as I was gearing up to get, uh, get to their location, I, uh, I have dogs, I have some pet dogs and they don't always want to come in. And I had a situation with a dog that just refused to come into the house. And so I was a little late. I was 15 minutes late uh, to, to the, the scheduled time. And I gave them a heads up, you know, the, 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 the rule of the road there is, is always communicate. Right. So I gave them a heads up that I was going to be a little late, but I got in a little late and I walked into the CEO's office and, and I didn't know what to expect. And the first words out of his mouth were, you know, but before today, I had some questions about whether or not you were going to be the right person for the role. And I feel like those have been answered. And he was referring to me being late. And I, it, it set me back, but I recovered quickly. And I looked at him and I said, you know, before today, I had some real questions about whether or not this role was right for me. And I feel like those have been answered today. I kid you not. I'm not even making that up. <laughs> and the reality is that, that when I talk about matchmaking, interviewing being a match, like that's exactly what it is. Because honestly, if that same candidate were coming to me and they said, look, I was trying to get some stuff in my life sorted out. I let y'all know ahead of time. I'm sorry that I'm 15 minutes late. There was a reason. I'm not even going to remember that tomorrow. That's not yeah. that big of a deal, honestly. And anyone who cares that deeply about that, that's not necessarily someone that I'm going to want to work with. Um, so that's, that's my funny horror story, I guess. That's a very strong signal, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a really strong signal. So anyway. Um, so I have one that's like only partially about me, but, um, so in one of the startups I worked for, uh, after it went out of business, um, I was looking for a job. Everybody else on the team was looking for a job. Um, and, uh, there were three of us who, uh, had all applied to the same company and we all made it through the resume stage and we made it to the like phone call stage. And all three of us got different interviewers on the phone. Um, and I know this because, uh, the, the person that I interviewed with had an accent and uh, one of the other people I talked to said his interviewer definitely had a cold or something. And the other person said it was an American who did not have a cold. Um, I, I was the only one of the three who got passed on to the next stage. Now, the reason that this is a horror story is that at the time I considered one the guy who got the interviewer with a cold to be a significantly better programmer than I was. 
And the fact that he didn't get, I assumed that like, I was like the, the third guy was like pretty new to programming. So I was like, okay, maybe he won't get it. And he didn't, but I was shocked that I would have gotten through and the other guy wouldn't have. So then I ended up, you know, going on and I ended up working there. And um, when I was interviewing, I, I, you know, walked through the office and I, I saw there was like very loudly, clearly someone had a cold. And I remembered who that guy was. And after working there, I, I subsequently realized that the person that I got was one of the nicest, like easy, most easygoing people in, in the team. And the guy with the cold is like, everybody knew was the meanest, like just hardest, like, and also the type of person who um, didn't like interviewing and just like kind of wanted to be done with it. And like, yeah. it was just luck of the dice. It was just, it was, you know, he it had nothing to do with which of us was better at programming or our skills or anything like that. It was just literally who randomly was got assigned to interview us. Um, so at Notre Dame, we try to like minimize that by like making really, you know, um, strict rubrics and stuff and like, like really specific instructions for like, to try to make it so that minimize the chance that the candidate like gets a different answer depending on who happened to interview them. Um, but that always kind of stuck with me as like, you know, this, this other person, like, um, it, it, there literally was nothing they could do. It was completely out of their control that they happened to get this, this other guy and maybe they froze up or something like that. But I mean, I asked how it went. He's like, I, I think it went well, but that interviewer really seemed to be, uh, you know, unhappy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think it was just, um, luck of the draw. And I guess it's a reminder that that, that can absolutely happen to you. So, you know, don't beat yourself up necessarily if, if you feel like, uh, the interviewer, like no matter what you said, the interviewer wasn't going to pass you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I will say like, there's a lot to be said for organizations that put interviewers through unconscious bias training or do a lot of work around that, which we do, uh, or have done. And I think that that's really important. Like we want to take bias. I, I never want to take human judgment out of the process because the, the reality is that humans are really good at doing stuff that computers are horrible at, which is, assessing nuance but i also want to remove as much bias as i can from the process as possible for exactly the reason that richard highlighted there so two two really instructive poor stories as it turns out yeah uh, i had one thing come to mind um so in this most recent job process it, it touches on what you mentioned earlier blake where sometimes you know you think you did well and you know, you don't, you don't get moved on or you don't think you did well and you do get moved on. Um, I had a, an interview for a larger tech company that um, I thought went mediocre at best. Um, like the, it, I think going into it, it's an industry I'm very familiar with. So the, the interviewer was like, oh, this is cool. You actually know about this industry and like have some knowledge. So the conversation was great technical started conversation did not go great after that. Um, and then by the end, like I got through it, but it was not, I, if I was evaluating myself, I would give myself a C, C minus, right? Um, so I emailed the recruiter after say, and it was a recruiter that I know personally. So say, thanks so much. This is, you know, it was a fun interview, but like, I didn't think it went well. So, you know, happy to talk next time around when I'm looking for a job. I didn't hear back from it all. And I was like, that's fine. And then a couple of days later, he goes, oh, we, we want to move you to a final. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I just have no <laughs> idea on, on what this looks like. So I, uh, I am, I was thinking though, I'll just share briefly from the other perspective as an interviewer, 
uh, at one point, uh, and I'm not going to discuss specifics, but I was interviewing a candidate uh, and we had a scenario interview. Um, I will say if you have a scenario or a role play based interview and the candidate almost gets so aggravated that they start a verbal argument with you, that <laughs> is a sign that the interview is not going well. Just as a heads up, if you feel like arguing with the person that's interviewing you, do so respectfully. That's that's one piece of advice. <laughs> sure. So, uh, yeah. Great. Well, let's take a quick break here and then we'll come back into the technical. Thank you for watching the first half of the Professional Technical Interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.